I know that when preachers start preaching about sin, everyone who's listening immediately switch, thinking, well, you know, he's talking about murder and adultery, and he's talking about the big sins. We don't realize that with God there are no big sins and small sins. Sin is sin. It's missing the mark. In fact, I am convinced that there are very few Christians who view anxiety and worry as sin. I really am convinced of that. It's a very respectable sin among Christians. Why is worrying and anxiety a sin before God? Because it distrusts God's promises. It distrusts the fact that God gave us His Word to provide for His loving children. It distrusts all these promises. In fact, the word worry comes from an old German word which means to strangle or to choke. That's what it means. And when we are anxious and when we live the life of worry... What we are doing, we are causing mental strangulation. We're causing emotional strangulation, which probably causes more mental and physical afflictions than any single cause by itself. Now, I am told that a dense fog that covers a seven-block city with a hundred feet deep fog is caused by only a glass of water that is spread in 60 billion droplets. In fact, in the right form, I am told that a few gallons of water can cripple a whole major city. In a similar way, the substance of worry and anxiety is always extremely small in comparison to the size That it forms in our minds. It is extremely small in comparison to the damage that it does in our walk with God. And the damage that it does in our lives. I am convinced of that. Let me tell you about a major study that was done. Not necessarily a Christian study. It's a secular study. Here's what it says. That the average person's anxiety focuses 40% on things that never happen. (laughs) 30% on things of the past that you cannot do a thing about. You cannot change. 12% on things about criticism by others, mostly untrue. (laughs) And 10% about health, which of course gets worse with anxiety. 8% is about real problems that we will be facing. 8% of all your worry and anxiety are really true. Someone said that worry is a thin stream of fear. Imagine in your mind a thin stream of fear that trickles in your mind. And it trickles in your mind. And then when you allow it, when you encourage it in your life, what will happen? It will cut a wide channel through which all other thoughts are going to be drained. Worry is the opposite of contentment. We saw in the last message, if we make our felt needs to be our focus and our concern, it's soon going to become our God. And like all false gods, it is going to devour its followers. It's going to destroy its followers. The God of our felt need is a merciless God. He is the very God of anxiety and worry. He is the very God of discouragement. He is the very God of disappointments. He is the very God of disorder. He is the very God of 
turmoil in your life. He is the God of fear and upheaval. And you know what? Jesus knew that worry and anxiety are a form of idolatry. That is why it's a sin. And this is why after he ended the very sentence that says, Thy will be done, knowing that when you do the will of God, therein lays the taste of heaven and on earth as it is in heaven. He immediately goes on to say, Give us this day our daily bread. The average American who throws away more bread than eat, you're going to say, what is this kind of prayer? I mean, it's not really relevant for us. Let's give us this day our daily bread. The average American in our society is saying, hey, man, everybody's telling me not to eat bread because it makes me fat. Why would I pray for a daily bread? And it may not be relevant, you would say, and you would think. That's not relevant for us. I think this is more relevant for people who are starving, for people who are living in dire poverty. It's not relevant for us today. Do you know what is between us and starvation is basically four inches of topsoil and the rain? (laughs) God can click his finger and the rain stop. And he blows in his nostril and the topsoil is gone. That's what's between us and starvation. But I want us to focus on this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread under three headings. First of all, we want to focus on God's provision. Secondly, I want us to focus on our petition of God. And thirdly, we'll focus on God's promises. Jesus began the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. He began this pattern of prayer that he taught his disciples to pray, saying what? Where is his focus? Where is the focus of prayer? Listen to me, because so many people think that prayer is bringing God your grocery list and say, God, give me this and two of this and three of this and four of this. Goodbye. Thank you, God. And they're gone. That is not what prayer is all about. Listen and watch how Jesus teaches us how to properly pray. First of all, the first concern is the name of God. Hallowed be your name. The second thing is the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come in my life, in my family life, in my business, in my ministry, whatever I am. Your rule must be supreme. Third thing is the will of God. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what God telling us our priorities ought to be in prayer. Then what? Then God gives us His priority for you. Our priority is the name of God, the kingdom of God, and the will of God. Then God says, you know what? My priority is providing for your needs. There is a special order here. I don't want you to miss it. Most professing Christians don't realize that their needs, their daily needs, daily welfare, daily supply of blessing, daily concerns, daily well-being is the very center of God's mind. (laughs) Is the very focus of God's attention. But you must understand the order in which they come. You must understand that with God there is a sense of priority. Something has to come first and something has to come second. And what the Lord Jesus is trying to teach us from this Lord's Prayer, from this Disciple's Prayer, this sense of order. I am telling you, when I came to understand this, it revolutionized my life. It changed my walk with God. It changed my whole perspective on life. God is saying that He is there for us 
When we are there for him, when we live for God, God lives for us. When your life's focus is God and his kingdom and his work, God's focus is your need, your daily need. When your life's focus is the glory of God, then God's focus is his provision for you. When your life's focus is to honor the name of God in everything you say, in everything you do, in your time, in your pocketbook, in everything, God obligated himself that you and your needs going to be the center of his attention. And only those who know God and walk with God can truly claim the provision of God. Because most professing Christians do not live for God, but all they want God to live for them. (laughs) They don't live for God, but when they want God, they want Him to be there and do what they want Him to do. And often in this busy world, we crowd God out in this age of half-read page and and quick hash and the mad dash. (laughs) In this age of the bright light and the nerves that are too tight. We crowd God out in this age of of a plain hop and a brief stop. We forget about God in this age of lamp tan and short span. And the big shot in a soft spot and the brain strain and the heart pain. And the cat naps till the spring snaps and the fun is gone. I hope you're impressed. (laughs) (laughs) I sure was. (laughs) But you know, if we truly understand God's sense of priority and God's sense of order, it will revolutionize your walk with God. It will teach you to live in victory over worry and anxiety. I believe that understanding God's order of priority will empower you to live victorious. You will not be a victim of worry. You will not be a victim of anxiety. And the Apostle Paul himself is telling the Philippians, you're going to see the same sense of order. Philippians chapter 4, here's this order. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer petition that is framed in thanksgiving, that is framed in praise, that is beginning praise and ending with praise, thanksgiving, will you present your needs, requests to God? Then what? It's one thing. Here's the order. God is the focus. God is our priority one. Then what? Then, only then, that the peace of God which transcends all human logic is going to surround your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. Don't ever miss that order. Don't get confused. Don't put the cart before the horse. Do you want to overcome worry? Do you want to overcome anxiety? Do you want to live in the life of victory? Understand this priority in the mind of God that He's trying to teach us today. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be concerned and you're not going to be thinking and you're not going to be aware of the fact when you face difficulties in life, it does take some of your energy. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not going to say that when you face desperate need, you're not going to think about it. That's not what I'm saying. But it will mean that you are no longer obsessed with your problems. That's what it means. It will mean that you are no longer consumed with your circumstances. God's provision. 
And the second thing I want you to notice is our petition. The word give, in give us this day, our daily bread, give, that word alone is really the heart of the petition. (laughs) Give. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, it is not only that we are petitioning God to do what He already obligated Himself to do, that we are petitioning God to provide what He already promised to provide, but it is an acknowledgement. We are acknowledging that He is the one who provided the past. He is the one who's provided for today. He is the one who's going to provide for tomorrow. That's what it means to say, give us this day. Please, I want you to hear what I'm going to tell you at this point. The reason Jesus taught us to make this petition is because He has already promised to answer that petition. The reason He taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, because He already obligated Himself to provide for His children. We cannot expect God to give us what He hadn't already promised. I want to repeat this. You cannot expect God to give you what He hadn't already promised. And the reason we are confidently petitioning God is because He already gave us His word of honor that He's going to meet our needs. Sure, it rains upon the just and the unjust, the Bible said. Sure, there are pagans out there who seem from the outside to be materially blessed. And you'd say, man, look at this. But no, you know what? God never obligated himself to bless them, but he obligated himself to take care of your needs. You have God's word on it. This has not come some theory that I'm making up. (laughs) I'm telling you what God said. And that is why... Anxiety for the believer, worry for the believer is a sin. You say, why? Because God obligated himself to you and to meet your needs. And therefore, we petition what he already promised us. Now, if I promise my son, I say, son, tomorrow morning, I'm going to give you $10. Now, you'd say, he has every right when he wakes up first thing tomorrow morning to come to me and say, now, Dad, where's the $10? I'm, I'm a human being, and I can forget or go back in my word. But God doesn't. He never goes back in his word. So what you're asking, he already promised. Now, if you have children in college, you experience what I experience, and the phone rings and says, Dad, I miss you. <laughs> and my next question is, how much? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, when children are small, I always say, they used to say to us, well, if you need money, go to the bank. They didn't understand that you only go to the bank to get money if you have money in the bank. <laughs> if you don't have money in the bank, you can't go to the bank. If I go in the bank, and I'm very confident, I give the withdrawal of $100, I know that I've got at least a little more than 100 in order to get the $100. And what God is saying to us, listen, please, God is saying, when you come and ask me that, you don't have to beg me, you don't have to twist my arm, because I already promised to give it to you. I obligated myself to take care of your need. So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are saying, thank you, Lord, that you have already fulfilled what you promised to fulfill. And the reason it is wrong to live in worry, the reason it is wrong to live in anxiety, the reason it is a sin in the sight of God, is because God has already promised his people, his faithful children, 
that he will provide for their needs. You know, I just can't help but getting a little chuckle. Maybe the old nature in me, when I read about people who are anxious and, and worry, sometimes it's a little comical. You know, I don't know sometimes where I need to laugh or cry. I just read recently about the, this dear lady who for 10 years never had a decent night's sleep. For 10 years. Just absolutely deathly afraid that it's going to be a burglar that's going to come in the middle of the night. 10 years. Finally, after 10 years, they heard some noise downstairs. So her husband went down and started looking, and sure enough, there was a burglar downstairs. And the husband said, good evening, sir. I am so glad to meet you. (laughs) Please come upstairs and meet my wife. (laughs) She's been waiting for you for 10 years. (laughs) What a relief. You know, when your worry finally pays off, you know. (laughs) Worry is the opposite of trust. It really is. It is exact opposite. Worry is a trust in the negative. Why? Why are you trusting the negative? Because you are trusting in the unpleasant assurance of a disaster. (laughs) The reason it is trust in the negative, because you are trusting in a belief in defeat, not in victory. That's why it is a sin. Worry is like a rocking chair. You know, it gives you something to do, but it won't take you very far. That's what worry does. And that is why this petition is placed here by our Lord Jesus Christ in order to teach us to place our confidence in what God had already obligated Himself to do. That's what it means. Worry is like fear. As I said, they're about 8% true and 92% things. Things. And often both are irrational. They really are. Now, many times, if you are honest with yourself and you sit down and you try to figure out all that you're really worried about, you find out it is less than 8%. And then the rest is irrational fear, irrational worry. There was a, a professor at Johns Hopkins University by the name of Dr. Jerome Frank. He was a psychiatrist, and he was a professor of psychiatry in the university. And he tells some interesting stories about how when he flies on an airplane, whenever he tells the passenger next to him that he's a psychiatrist, man, they start confessing everything. I mean, they want to get a freebie. But he said, invariably, they always wanted to talk to him about the fear of flying. Always. And he said, you know, many times just getting him to talk, by the time we land, they're okay. They forgot about the fear of flying. But he said one time he was flying across country. He has a man sitting next to him, and he happened to again tell him that he's a psychiatrist. And this dear man started talking to him, and he said, you know, he said, I used to be deathly anxious about flying. I used to be absolutely terrified about flying. And he started to tell him that all it happened in my life when I was on a flight to Denver. And there a man came uh, on the plane with a bomb in his hand. He wanted to destroy the plane because his mother-in-law was on the plane. (laughs) He said, from that moment on, I worry sick. Who's carrying a bomb? And then Dr. Franks was really interested. And he said, now, well, what happened? He said, well, I went to one of those classes. Yeah, they teach you not to be afraid of flying. And he said, in that class, they told us that there's only one chance in 100,000 that somebody is on the plane 
with a bomb in his hand. Now, of course, this was the days before the security checks and before metal detectors, you know, and he was talking about. He said, you know, I thought about these odds and I didn't like them. One in a hundred thousand. And I said, that didn't help me. He said, then I reasoned in my head and I said, well... If there's only one chance in 100,000 for one bomb to be on the plane, then there ought to be one chance in a billion for two bombs to be on the plane. And Dr. Frank said, well, what good would this do you? He said, well, I feel much better with these odds. One in a billion better than... He said, how do you do this? He said, I always carry a bomb with me everywhere I go. I told you it's irrational. <laughs> the provision, the petition, then the promise. If you have your Bible, I hope you already marked the word give. Now I want you to mark the word us, U-S, us. Give us. Who's Jesus talking about? Everybody in the world. No. Us is not everyone in the world or everyone who mutters these words called the Lord's Prayer. No. Us Those who put their trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's whom God obligated himself. That's whom God promised to provide for their needs. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 18, 29. He said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times as much at this time and at the age to come eternal life. I have a hard time saying this, but it's the absolute truth. There are three times in my life when I put everything on the line on that promise of God. And God never failed, not once. He kept that promise. And He'll keep it for you. Here, the Lord Jesus Christ, He's not asking anybody to leave anything. But He's saying, you've got to be willing at least to put it on the line for His sake. Here, the Lord Jesus is committing Himself irrevocably. Of taking care of those who are willing to put everything on the line for him. And today, we have people who want to serve God only if the conditions are ripe. And, oh, they will serve God only if the price is right. They will serve God if all the problems are solved and everything is just hunky-dory. Jesus doesn't want those people. Because he told three different ones. He said, you follow me. He said, well, i got to take care of this. He said, go back. (laughs) Well, come and follow me. He said, well, I've got to take care. He said, you go. He said, no one put his hand on the plow and looked back. Is fit for the kingdom of God. I will worship the Lord only if I can make it to church. I will go to prayer meeting if I don't have a conflict. I will give my tithe and offering only if I have an overabundance. I will do this only if I... Listen, don't ever bother trying to bargain with God. He's a Middle Easterner, you know. <laughs> he will out-bargain you all the time. Don't even bother. But I want you to notice that sense of order again. That sense of priority again. In the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said no one who has done these things. No one who is willing to do these things. That is not going to be blessed multiple times here. And in the life to come eternal life. It is the same order that we have been seeing throughout this message. When you put him first. He provides for your needs. When 
He becomes priority one in your life. You and your needs become priority one in His life. This part I'm going to tell you is my personal opinion. Has nothing to do with the Word of God, although I can prove it from the Word of God, but I'm always careful when I tell you something I think or straight from the Word of God. I am personally convinced, that's a personal opinion, I am personally convinced that the greatest cause, because the reason I keep emphasizing this, because somebody eventually will come to me and say, I disagree with you. Well, (laughs) you can disagree. That's why I said it's a personal opinion. (laughs) It's not the word of God. I am personally convinced that the greatest cause of famine and hunger in the world is not bad agricultural policies, not bad economic policies, or even overpopulation, as some would have us believe. I am personally convinced these things may aggravate the problem, but I believe that the very core of that problem is spiritual. Only 15% of the world arable land is used for agriculture, and that is only half of the year. The problem in many countries that have no Christian roots, they have no Christian foundation, inevitably they will find that they place very little value on human life. Ask me, I know. And in some of these countries where poverty and disease and starvation rule, many of these countries see these things of disease and poverty and starvation as divine punishment for which they feel that they are paying the price. They're paying penance in order to be reborn into a higher form. There are so many people in many of these countries think that to help a person in poverty is to interfere with his karma or her karma. And therefore... You're doing him spiritual harm. There are other countries I'm aware of where they believe it is the will of God for you to be poor. And if it is the will of God for you to be poor, you must stay poor. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. The reason Western Europe and North America is so blessed of God with abundance of food is because of the Christian roots and the Christian foundation. Whether some of these revisionist liberals who admit this or not, I don't care. God has blessed the West with abundance because of the Christian roots. And that is why I absolutely shudder when I see modern day ignoring of Christian value, when I see the devaluing of life, when I see the growing demand for abortion and infanticide and euthanasia, I recognize that these are going to take us back to paganism. And if we go back to paganism, we forfeit the blessings of God that has blessed these nations for these hundreds of years. God will still provide for his own. But nonetheless, we have no right to claim that promise. Listen to what Jesus said to his followers. He said, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall wear. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing for all these things the pagans eagerly seek? For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided to you. We've never trusted God really enough to see 
his working out of that promise. Well, how does God provide? God sometimes provides supernaturally and miraculously, but often God provides for His children through hard work. And that is why the Apostle Paul can tell the Thessalonians, if you can work, refuse to work, then you should not even eat. And the way God provides for us is by giving us life, by giving us energy, by giving us resources, by giving us opportunity in order to make a living. And He provides for those who cannot provide for themselves through the generosity of those who have been blessed by Him. The generosity of His people. And you know what? He does that on a daily basis. Every single day. He doesn't miss a day. He doesn't just provide on Mondays and then He skips a few days and come back another day next week. No. That's not how. You know, from the very beginning, God has been trying to teach this lesson for His children, and they never learned that lesson. From the very beginning in the wilderness, when God took His people there on their way to the promised land, there in the wilderness, He began to teach them that lesson, and He's still teaching it to you and me every single day. Same lesson, (laughs) over and over and over again. Here's what he said to his people. He said, I will promise to provide for you. I promise my provision for you. If you trust me, if you put your trust in me on a daily basis. Here's that priority again. Here's that order again. If you put your trust in him, you put him first. He's going to take care of your needs. So what happened? They woke up one morning and whoopee. I mean, it was snowing cornflakes all over the place. And they ate. They thought they were going to die in the wilderness. They started eating and eating and got filled. But God knew. (laughs) He knew that some of them are going to say, as some of you might say, yeah, he provided for today. But is he going to provide for tomorrow? Yeah, we see the blessing now. But what about next year? Well, I'll be blessed again. So some of them, you know what they did? They took some of the stuff, the manna, and they took it and they hid it in the tent. Because, you know, you can't, you really don't know. God said, trust me, oh yeah, but yeah, you can trust him today, but can you really trust him tomorrow? (laughs) So they tempted God, they distrusted God, and they hid the manna in their tents. And you know what happened? It stunk overnight like a sewer. That's really what the word means. (laughs) Stunk like a sewer. You say, wait a minute, this is a blessing from the hand of God. How can the blessing become a curse? I want to tell you exactly how a blessing can become a curse. When you begin to distrust God, when you begin to doubt God, the very blessing that He's given you is going to turn into a curse in your hand. Because when you distrust God, you're insulting God. You really are. Whether you know it or not, you really do. What was God doing? He was trying to teach him that same lesson I was telling you that he's trying to teach many of us today. It's the same lesson. Second, third, fifth, 20,000 times, all over, every generation has to learn this lesson. He says, trust me. But oh, you know, it would be a lot easier. I can trust him if my bank account is a little bigger. (laughs) He says, trust me. Yeah, I really trust God, but you know what? It would be a lot better for me to trust God if the statement of my net worth is just a little larger. And the reason people don't tithe or give offering is because they don't trust God. That's the bottom line, really. 
That's the bottom line. I, I sometimes sense God in exasperation saying, if I provided for you yesterday, why don't you trust me to provide for you tomorrow? If I upheld you yesterday, why am I going to dump you tomorrow? If I answered your yesterdays, why wouldn't I answer you today and tomorrow? If I cared for your yesterday and today, why wouldn't I care for your tomorrow? Shall we pray? Father God, our heart's desire is to honor you, not dishonor you. To bring glory to your name, not insult by our lack of faith and trust in you. That we ask, Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us to live by faith, to walk by faith today and tomorrow and every day until we look to Jesus in the face. In his name I pray. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.